0: In February this year, we embarked on a journey um, through the Gospel of John, and now it's, it's close to October and we're still in the Gospel of John. It's been an amazing journey as we've just gone chapter by chapter by chapter, and one of the reasons we did this is because the, the primary focus of our church, what we're all about, is about Jesus and His finished work on the cross. We believe that when people discover what it is that God has done for, for them, the love that He has for them, and the grace that, is, that has been released through the finished work of the cross to each one of us, that's when people come alive. That's when they start wanting to, to know God more and build intimacy with Him and build a relationship with Him. It all comes from understanding and, and recognizing the love of God and the grace of God. And so in the Gospel of John, you know, John writes about a Jesus that he knows very intimately, a Jesus that he had walked with uh, for all those years of ministry, a Jesus uh, that he had, had sat next to, that he had, he had listened to his teachings, and he had watched him interact with people. He had seen the miracles. And, and one part of Scripture tells us that as they were sitting at the table, that John actually rested his head on Jesus' chest. And so John actually has heard the heartbeat of Jesus. He knows the heartbeat of God. He knows the, the love. And that became his primary identity. That, w- that became how he sees himself, how he views his own life. And so if, if our focus is Jesus, we just felt like this was such an incredible book to work through because it reveals Jesus in such a powerful and such an intimate way to each one of us. Our heart here is not that you would just come to church and just find a comfortable spot to sit on uh, on a Sunday. Our heart for Anchor Church is that we would see the face of Jesus together, that we'd fall more in love with Him every single week, that we'd become more intimately acquainted with the wonders of His person, that we'd experience, not just assume, but experience His presence in our lives and, uh, and, and, and trust Him in a deeper way day after day after day. Like, like Paul even said, like I'm determined to know one thing and one thing only and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, I, don't, I don't want all the other knowledge and all the other guidance and all the other, and all the other advice and all the other life hacks. I just, I just want to know Jesus because it is the source of life, and, um, and His grace is so abundant. So, um, so we, we, we have been watching and, and going on this journey as John has been revealing Jesus to us, and His identity was shaped fundamentally by the love that he saw in Jesus' eyes, by the tenderness that he experienced, by the, by, the, by the concern. You know, sometimes people look at you and then sometimes people look at you. They, they actually see you. And I think that John was, was standing in front of Jesus and he recognized that as important as Jesus was and he was the Son of God himself and, and, and he had all these people following him, when, when Jesus stood in front of John, John knew that he had been seen that he had been recognized, and that Jesus personally cared about him. And our hope is, is that each one of you would recognize and realize that Jesus sees you, that he sees your journey, that he sees the road that you've walked, that he sees your, he sees your hardships, that he sees the, uh, the, the things that you have come through, the hurts, the insecurities, the disappointments, that he sees all of that, and that his grace is for you in the midst of it. And when we, when we see that tenderness, when we see the kindness of God, like I shared on last week, um, it causes us to surrender our hearts wholeheartedly to God. That's where actually people often talk about absolute surrender, like it's something that we've just got to work very hard on doing. And the truth is, it comes through what we believe. It comes through what we understand about the love of God. So um, we're here in John chapter number 20. So we only have this week and next week, and then we are done with the gospel of John. Uh, like an eight-month uh, series is finally like, I almost, almost feel weird. Like, what am I going to do when John is over, you know? Um, just going to go sit at home and cry, uh, <laughs> but it's been so amazing. So we're in John chapter number 20, and this deals with the resurrection of Jesus. And I saw something as I was reading this that just hit me, and and I want to just share just for a few minutes today on this. So if you can open up your Bibles to John chapter number 20 and just go to verse number one. I'm going to read about nine verses here, and then I'm going to ask you to just keep your your Bibles open on that spot because I'm going to refer back to one or two lines as we go through. Here in John chapter number 20, um, it's a Sunday, the first day of the week. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Some, some stuff in there that, uh, that I want to I share with you this morning as I, as I look at what happens when we experience uh, the love of God and, and recognize, begin to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So let, let's go ahead and pray together and then we're going to get into these verses. Uh, Father, we thank You so much this morning that we can just uh, hear Your Spirit speak, Lord, uh, to every heart, Lord. We, we can only speak with our human words, Lord, but you, You're you the one who carries the words of God straight into our hearts, and we thank You that it is, it is like a double-edged sword that is able to penetrate even down to where the soul and the spirit meet. And we just thank You for the, the, the power of Your Word this morning, the power of the gospel to transform our lives, the power of the good news of Jesus, and, and, and the power of recognizing what happens uh, in our lives once, once, once we understand the gospel. So I just pray, Lord, for open hearts this morning, for opened eyes this morning, for people to begin to recognize, Lord, to in, in an increasing measure um, what it is that you have done for us and the great love that you have for us. So we give you all the glory for this today, Jesus, and we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. So um, one thing that, that happens as you get older, um, and I know some of you will look at me and still think, no, but you're, you're still pretty young, and that's true. I am still pretty young. But you kind of, as you start to kind of get a little bit older, um, you realize that some things are just not appropriate uh, for you anymore. All right. And one of those things that I have found increasingly inappropriate for me as I have gotten older is running in public. Right. Have you recognized that? Like when you're a kid, Running in public is just like something we do. That's what we do. We run in public no matter what happens. Um, But as an adult, when you see uh, like an adult, you know, dressed for work or whatever, running in public, your first thought is what has gone wrong in this person's life to have brought them to this place where they are now in this inappropriate manner running through the street or, you know, there's got to be something major going on in their lives. You know, you see an adult running and you just start praying for them. Jesus, whatever's going on with them right now, we just thank you that it'll be okay, that you're going to lead them through it. Um, And I've just, I, I felt that way. I felt like it's less and less appropriate for me to run just, you know, randomly. And, um, and so even when you see an adult crossing the road, um, I, this has happened to me a couple of times where I decide to cross the road, but I mistime it just a little bit, you know. So now I'm like in the middle of a, of a three-lane road, and, uh, and as I'm walking, I realize that cars are flying in my direction. Even then, I don't want to run because just, it just doesn't feel right. So what you do is, is that you, you tell yourself, I'm, I'm going to be fine. It's fine. I, have, I still have time. I still have time to make it to the other side. And all you do is you just like briskly, you, don't, you just don't go into the whole run thing because it just seems so wrong. And, and you're like, I'll be fine. That's kind of what you tell yourself. But then there's that seed of doubt that comes in where you think, if I'm wrong, I'm going to die today. And even though I still don't run until it's that last moment just before the car hits me and I realize, okay, I really do need uh, to run. So we just speed walk ourselves out of danger as adults, that's, that's what we do. And, um, and you know when you just get onto the curb and the car just passes by like a second later and you, you're like, no, no, I'm, I knew I knew I had planned it out all along, but inside you're like, man, that was close. I, I, gotta, I gotta time these crossings better. Um, and so uh, it made me think of recently when I was late for a flight um, and uh, I was coming back to South Africa and uh, I had got caught up in a train that was late and made it to the airport late. And my flight was leaving in about 10 minutes from the moment I arrived at the airport. Um, And in America, the, uh, the security program and protocol is no joke. I mean, you pretty much have to take off everything that you have um, and then stand in a machine that scans you. He's got this the crazy thing, and even then they'll still check extra stuff, and they'll still go through your bags, and and all of that stuff. And and so I was I was late for this flight. I arrive at the airport. I rush through everything. I check in. I uh, get to the security point, and then they make me take off my shoes. They make me take off my belt. They make me open up my bag, and everything goes through. And I realize like this, they've already made the calls a couple times at like the final boarding call, everything. And I'm like. I'm gonna miss this thing. And so, I, like, I'm trying to put one shoe on. The other shoe, it doesn't wanna go on. At this moment, it chooses to be rebellious and won't go onto my foot. So I was like, just leave it. And I, I take my shoe, and I've got my belt in one hand, and like, my bag is open, and I just start running. And I didn't realize how far. It was to the actual gate, but I am running, uh, and I just remember the carpets so clearly. like, And people are looking at me, because i got one shoe on, my pants are half falling off, stuff's falling out my bag, and I'm just like, it's okay, just keep your head focused on the goal, you know, let's get there, and so I'm rushing to get there, and and, uh, and when I actually remember, when I got to the gate, I, I was like pushing past people, I'm sweating, you know, I've got a shoe in my hand, like I get there, I'm out of breath, like I haven't run that Far, and that consistently for a very long time, I realized, you know, and and so I get to the gate and I push past these people and I'm like, I shove my passport in am like I need to get on this flight. And they were like, Oh, oh no, we just got announcement that uh, that it, we've been a little bit delayed. So it's okay and all of these people are actually also still waiting. So you're fine. So I was like, I've got like my shoe in my hand, my belt. It's like, okay, I'll just I'll just get dressed over here, you know, while while we wait. Um, and, uh, but but there is a time when um, you will break out um, into a full sprint, without worrying about what anybody thinks, um, or out, and, and in actual fact you almost become completely oblivious to whether your actions are appropriate or not. And um, and I've I've seen that response in me. I've seen it in my wife. I've seen it in 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 in, in different people again and again and again. And that is when you run after something or someone. That you love, when you when you're running, when you love something, when you love someone, you don't care what anybody thinks. You you're gonna run if you need to run. And uh, all parents have experienced this phenomenon of the ugly run. You know, there's there's runs and then there's the ugly run when you're like running after your kid. And and um, and and I remember this one case or this one time when um, my my boy Eli was only about a year old, and we were visiting with some friends, um, and they had just built a new pool and there was no covering on the pool and so they kind of have an open pool with a garden and we were in the garden and we were all there and Eli was kind of playing in in, in, on the side of it like in some of the plants and we were standing over on this side just having a chat and when I turned around I saw that Eli was standing at the edge of the pool now I'm on the other side of the garden and he's at the edge of the pool and I look at him and he looks at me and I say Eli no and as I say that he looks at me and does this into like straight in no fear, like he's just straight into the pool, and I just, I just watched my boy sink. I tell you, I ugly ran, man. I don't care who, how inappropriate it is. Um, I was gonna get there to, to try and save him, and, and uh, I ran like I'd never run before. I stepped right into the pool, and I just plucked. I remember um, his one arm, like he had his one arm up, like as he was going down, like cheers, dad, peace out, people, see you later, you know. And I, I just like, I grabbed the hold of him, and I just plucked him right out of the water. And he, you know, he was fine, but he had this look of shock on his face as he came out of the water, um, just this little one-year-old boy. And, um, and, and, and I just thought about how in that moment, when, because of the love that I had for my son, I don't, I don't care how inappropriate it is or seems uh, to run as an adult. When you love something, you just don't care anymore. You're, you're going to give it absolutely everything that you have. And Jesus actually tells a story about the heart of God. And he is trying to help both Pharisees and unsaved or or unchurched or unbelievers understand something about the heart of God. He's telling both the religious people and the people who don't know God a story about what God is really like. And he begins by telling the story of these two sons um, and how one son, and you've probably heard the story before, but how one son asks for his inheritance early and takes this inheritance and squanders it uh, the Bible says, on promiscuous living, just probably spent it on prostitutes and wild living and, 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 and drinking every night and, and just blows his entire inheritance, just absolute rebellion um, against his father, wasting his father's hard-earned money, the inheritance that was his, um, on all of this squanderous living. And at one point, he finds himself in, in, in the pits, uh, literally in the, in the pig pen, feeding pigs, longing to eat the food that the pigs were eating. And he remembers that how his father's servants, even his father's servants were fed better than what he's being fed right now. And he goes, I'll go back and I'll make a bunch of excuses and I'll, I'll say sorry for what I did, but if I could just go back home, then even if I'm not worthy of being a son again, maybe I can just be a servant and I'll still be treated better than what I'm treated right now. And so he's walking back, and you can imagine he had traveled a long distance, he had gone to foreign lands, and as he's walking, he's rehearsing his speech that he was going to say to his father, and all the excuses he was going to make, or all the, the reasons he would give. And the Bible tells us something which, in, in the biblical context, even more so than in today's context, for a grown man to run was actually seen as, as genuinely inappropriate, and, or not fitting. Um, and the Bible tells us that as um, and I've got it here in, in Luke 15, verse 20. As the son comes near, his father is looking out for him, and it says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. So the dad is standing there, and he, it's, like, it's like every day he was like scanning the horizon to see if his son would come home. And while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Now, that compassion is, is, is not like an environmentalism type of compassion. It's like, I'm so sorry for all the whales that are being killed in the world today. That's, that's like, it's speaking, about, it's speaking about like a very deep-seated uh, 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 sense of empathy. It's actually like a pain in the gut is how the, 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 the Greek understanding of compassion, what it really was. And he sees his son, and he feels this, that's my son, and, and it says this, it says, he felt compassion and ran. He ran. He literally, he couldn't wait. Like, you can just imagine this ugly run, like, like I was running after my son that day when I plucked him out of the water, how this father sees his son coming afar off and he just decides, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care how this looks. I don't care whether this is appropriate or not. I am running hard after my son because of the love that I have for him. And it says that as he got there, he, he embraced his son. He, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. That word kissed. Uh, in the Greek, means to be kissed repeatedly, again and again and again and again. Just, just, and, I, and, I, and I always think about this, like every excuse or everything that the son wanted to say sorry for, it's like the dad just kissed him again to say, it's okay, I love you, I forgive you, I'm so glad that you're home. One kiss after another, after another, after another. Charles Spurgeon says, God on the neck of a sinner That's the the picture that we have here, is a God that is willing to run after the people that He loves and fall on their necks and kiss them much. Jesus is telling the story to religious people and to unbelievers alike. You need to know what the heart of the Father is for you. He runs after you. He falls on your neck. No matter what you have done, He kisses you again and again and again. When he comes, as Charles Spurgeon said, he comes to kiss. He comes to embrace. So this is a picture of the gospel that expresses the heart of God towards us. How he runs to meet us. No care for his position or social standing. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He left his The Bible says He laid aside His rights as God, laid it aside so that He could pursue us, so that He could run hard after us. And He pursued us across the universe, stepped into this life, stepped into this world, so that He could embrace us and and, and become grace to us. He humbled Himself, the Bible says. And when we recognize this, it does something on the inside of us. When you realize the price that God was willing to pay for your life, and I honestly believe this, I honestly believe that even if you were the only living being on this planet, God would have paid the exact same price for you. When you realize the price that God was willing to pay for you, to reestablish a relationship with you and and to reconcile us with Him, it awakens faith within us. If you want to know where faith comes from, because some people try and have faith kind of by, they don't know exactly where faith comes from. Like, does it come from my head? Does it come from my heart? Does it come from like, I don't know, um, physical exertion? Does it come from going to church? Where where does it actually come from? But faith comes from recognizing the love of God. That's why the Bible says that when when we hear the word, when we hear the gospel, when we hear what God has done, that's where our faith is established. And that's how our faith increases and grows. The more you know the love of God for you, the more you'll grow in your faith. It's the source of faith. It awakens faith. Because ultimately, if somebody has proven, they've proven that they love you, what does that produce? It produces trust. You'll trust a person that has proven their love for you. And trust is just another word for faith. We trust God because He has shown us how much He loves. So it says that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, she comes to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now this is John. He's talking about himself in the third person. And he does this often because he's just like, he doesn't even say he came to Simon Peter and John. He goes, no, the one whom Jesus loved. Like his name doesn't even, doesn't even speak to his identity as powerfully as the love of God does. Isn't that incredible? Like, like whatever people say about you, whether it's bad things or good things, we can take so much of our identity from that, and, and you could, he could have been the apostle or, or, or the great disciple or, or you know, this, this person, John, or whatever other title he could have possibly had. And you go, I, I'm putting all of that aside because this is the, the deepest level of my self-awareness. I'm the one whom Jesus loves. That was John. I often said that, like, uh, like if, if somebody woke you up in the middle of, an, of the night with a gun to your head—very possible here in Joburg, that, that could actually happen. And they said to you, "Like, who are you?" John's reply wouldn't have been, um, "I'm John." His reply would have been, "I'm the one whom Jesus loves." Like, that's who I am. It informs our identity. And I really really believe that that's the revelation that God wants us to have. That's what John wanted us to recognize, is that we are the ones that Jesus loves. He could have said, the one who loved Jesus, because we know he loved Jesus. And that sounds a little bit better from a Christian perspective, doesn't it? Like, I'm the one who loves Jesus. Like, hey, can we have that guy preach? Can we have that guy come and like do a conference because he's the one who loves Jesus? I mean, it sounds so pious and so noble and so committed. And a lot of times we love to boast in our love for God. Like, I love God so much. Like, I mean, Christian Facebook posts can be some of the hor- most horrifying things in the world sometimes. You know, it's just like, like I love Jesus so much. And it's all good. It's, it's, it's all fine. But, but there's something greater than that. And that's not boasting in your love for Jesus, but boasting in Jesus' love for you. I have many times sang worship songs where I've spoken about how, how much I love Jesus and, I'm, and I feel something in that and, that and that's powerful and I love expressing my love for Jesus. But when I start singing about how much Jesus loves me, man, it just, it just overwhelms me. It just breaks me down to the core. It's like, He actually does love me. He actually does care about my life. Because we doubt that at times when we go through difficult things or when, we, when we're struggling, we're like, does He care? And just one reminder of the gospel like, yes, he, he, he actually does. He actually does care about you. He actually does love you. And, and that was the revelation that John had, was the love that Jesus had for him. That's why he had this, this very deep bond with Jesus. That's where intimacy with Jesus comes from. You will, not be, um, you will not feel free to be vulnerable and honest and open and to build intimacy with God unless you genuinely trust the love that He has for you. Brennan Manning, uh, I'm going to quote him twice today because I just love uh, so much of what he writes. And I was reading some of his stuff this week, but he says, how glorious the splendor of a human heart that trusts that it is loved. If you want to see people come alive and be awakened and start to walk in the fullness of God has for them, just let them know how much God loves them. Just let them know how much God loves them. I was at a wedding last night um, of some good friends and, and got to hang out with people. And like what happens with every wedding where I conduct the ceremony, um, at some point during the night, I will be doing counseling with some drunken people um, at one point or another. And that happened again last night. Somebody, somebody came up to me, and I, um, he just t- started to share with me, and, and, and he told me just randomly, it was like, hey, I want to just tell you something. And he was like, if, and this is what he said. He said, if you knew the things I had done in the last three weeks, you would cry. He goes, because if I think about the things I've done in the last three weeks, I want to cry. And I said to him, I I wouldn't cry. I would tell you that Jesus loves you anyways. And he was like, no, 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 but you don't understand. Like, this is, like, it's so bad. Um, and, 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 you know, and he just, and I was like, I would still tell you that Jesus loves you regardless of what you have done. You may be the son that has run off and lived in squanderous living, but the father runs to meet you. He runs to embrace you. He runs to put his arms around you. It's such an important truth, and if we don't get this, we are going to spend our lives trying to earn what is already ours in Christ, and we're going to enlist. Have you ever been volunteered for stuff? My wife does this for me all the time. Like we'll be in public with people, and she'd be like, "Adrian would love to, um, you know, go chop wood with you in the forest." I I wasn't planning on it, but I mean, now that she's, I, 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 you know, okay, I'll come chop wood with you in the forest, you know. and we kind of do that with people is that we like enlist them for this program. They're like they're not even keen on like this whole thing. They don't even know whether Jesus loves them. And we're like, you know what, I'm, I'm busy earning God's love. Why don't you come alongside me and earn God's love with me? And we'll earn God's love together and we'll work really hard and we'll, we'll worship. We'll go to church every Sunday and maybe after we've done all of that, like God would be impressed and God would be pleased. So not only do we spend our lives trying to earn what is already ours in Christ, but we often try and get others into the same system. And for a lot of, for a lot of people, that's why they don't go to church. Like, I'm, I'm not into that. Like, I don't want to. I just... But the moment they recognize the love of God, the Bible says it's, it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance, that leads us to repentance. I love what... Uh, John Mark McMillan, I've just been listening to his one album um, over and over again, and, and I was listening to it again last night, and, and he said this. He says, your heart, in his one song, he says, your heart won't stop coming after me. The heart of God won't stop coming after you. No matter how much you rebel, no matter how far you run, he's going to keep pursuing after you because he loves you. And so we, we see here in John chapter number 20, um, to come back to this, Mary finds an empty tomb on, an, on, a, on, a, on a Sunday morning, And she tells Peter and John, and both of them set off towards the tomb. Both of them start running, it tells us. And so we have two disciples here. The one is is Simon Peter, whose last act, the last time he saw Jesus, was to deny him. And Jesus has kind of told him, I know this is going to happen and I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail you in the midst of all of that. But when you, are, when you return, rest, you know, encourage your brothers. Like Jesus is like, I already know your failures. I already know that I'm going to restore you. I already know that I'm going to use you. But still, after doing it, uh, Peter just, he runs away and he's in tears. He's so disappointed um, because of the fact that he betrayed Jesus and he denied him in that, in that critical moment. The other disciple as John tells us, is John himself. And he's the one who believes in the deepest part of his being, the love that God has for him. And so when I was just reading this, I noticed something that I'd never really seen in John chapter 20 before. And it's just this sentence, and I think it's in verse four. We can put it up there. It says, both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Can you just picture that for a moment? Like you've got one, one guy who feels like, ah, oh, I've betrayed Jesus. I don't know if I'm okay with Jesus. I don't know if Jesus is going to forgive me for what I've done. And then he hears that Jesus, that the tomb is empty. And he begins to run. But I can imagine as Peter's running, uh, there's a little bit of apprehension. Like, what is he going to say to me? Like, is he going to be disappointed? Is he going to call me out on the mistakes I've made? Is he going to judge me? Is he going to want nothing to do with me? And so I can imagine Peter just slowing down just a little bit, just a little bit of apprehension. So like, will this Jesus receive me back? But John is the one convinced about the love that God has for him. And so he outruns Peter. The way I picture them is is Peter as this kind of burly fisherman, athletic guy. I see John as kind of a softy. you know. He's just kind of like this, I imagine him to be a little bit shorter and not so athletic. And so John's like, I don't care. I'm ugly running to the tomb. Because this is the God who I know loves me. It caused him to run. You see, if you're like Peter and you're constantly aware of your failures or you live your life with a sin consciousness where you're always just thinking about how sinful you are and how wrong you are and how guilty you are, where you're always focused on what you've done right or what you've done wrong, let me say this clearly today, you won't run after Jesus with all of your heart. If you don't grasp that in Christ there is no condemnation, if you don't grasp the grace that, that He has for you and the fact that we, He has washed you clean and that by His grace you have become the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus, it'll always be a, a game. It'll always be this, some other consideration. It'll always be something that will distract. You won't r- just run wholeheartedly towards Jesus. There'll be an apprehension. You'll be cautious. It's, it's exactly like that middle-of-the-street kind of run. <laughs> when the cars are coming towards you at 160 kilometers an hour, and that's just on Vitkopen. And, uh, and, and, you're, and you're walking and you realize, I, I should probably run, but I don't know if, if it's in my heart. I don't know if, I'm, if it's appropriate. You'll hold back. But when you know that you are the one whom Jesus loves, without condition, without anything standing between you and Him, when you're just simply, that's just who He is, when you believe that He truly has died for your sins and that you have been set free from condemnation, then let me tell you, you're going to run after Jesus. You're going to ugly run this thing all the way home. You're going to go all the way and do every single thing that God has called you to do, even if you've got one shoe in your hand, a belt over here, a backpack that's unzipped and things are falling out. You're just going to absolutely go headlong into every single purpose and plan that God has made for your life. And you will not hesitate for one second because you know the love that Jesus has for you. And you're going to embrace that empty tomb. You're going to embrace the resurrection, the new life that God has for you. When you know the love of God, you'll embrace what He has for you, the the, the victory of the cross. We only truly begin to run after Jesus when we realize that He has run after us. And so faith and Christian living begins and ends with our understanding of God's love for us. And as we understand that, we just begin to embrace everything that He has for our lives, everything that the resurrection means for our lives. Here in, in John chapter number 20, um, we, we see how the very next thing that happens is that, that Mary comes to the tomb and, and she walks in and she sees the angels and says, please tell us, tell us, like, like where, where is the body? Where, 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 did, where have you laid Jesus? And she turns around she thinks this guy's the gardener. And she says to the gardener, please tell me, if you've moved his body, tell me where it is and... and and Jesus just looks at her and just says her name. He just says, Mary. And as, as he says, Mary, she realizes it's Jesus. And she cries out. She realizes this is, this is him. When Jesus says your name, when he looks you in the eye, you realize that even though you didn't recognize it before, he's actually been present in your life up to this point. He's been present all along. And as he says your name, there comes a moment where you just realize he's here. He's alive. Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is just a cornerstone truth in our, in our faith, is His resurrection from the dead. Because the resurrection of Jesus is the confirmation that everything that Jesus said about Himself is true. Like, if he, had, he could have said whatever He wanted to say, but if He hadn't been raised from the dead, if He wasn't alive today, it would have just been religious words from another fr- religious fanatic But the fact that he is alive today means that he was truly who he said he was. And that means that everything he said about the heart of God towards us is also true and guaranteed. There's no, the Bible says in Christ we don't have a yes and no, but a resounding yes. In him, every promise is yes and amen. Not yes and no. In Jesus, we don't have yes and no. There's no gray in this. If the resurrection is true, then what Jesus said about how he felt about us is also true. And every part of what he came to do for us, the forgiveness, the grace, the the restoration, it's also true. We can receive it. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, then what he said was true. And what he came to do is fulfilled. Every promise of God is ours because of that, because of the fact that he's alive today. And so all we need to do is to recognize and receive it. It's already ours. We don't have to strive for it, earn it, work for it. We receive it by the grace of God. And that's faith. And believe it or not, that is the New Testament context of obedience. Sometimes when you're working hard for God, you're being disobedient. Because you're trying to earn something that He has already told you to receive by His grace. So this is what Jesus came to do. He came to make things that were once dead, alive in Christ. Once dead, now alive. How do things go from being dead to alive? By the grace of God. By the recognition of the love of God. And that means that whatever parts of your life right now still feel like they're dead, or you still feel like you're still in certain areas dwelling in some form of death, or in need of some form of healing, or in need of some form of restoration in your heart, in your life, in your relationships. Because of the resurrection, we can believe today that Jesus is going to restore every single one of those areas. He's going to bring those dead areas alive. He's going to fill us with meaning. He's going to fill us with purpose. He's going to cause us to run and not grow weary. So we're running with all of our hearts. We run and not grow faint. He wants to bring abundant life, not just, not just average kind of biological life, but abundant life to each of us. And so I had this picture in my, in my heart, my mind, of, of just a, a desert kind of valley with nothing growing in that valley and how a recognition of who Jesus is just causes a, a torrent to come up just like an like a underground river just to break through the earth and to flood that desert valley and just to bring life where there was no life before. And I believe that that is what Jesus is doing in our lives. There are dead parts. There are dry parts. There are parts that we have hidden away. There are parts that we don't go to in our own hearts and in our own souls. And Jesus causes just his, by his love, just a breakthrough of, of refreshing this life-giving water that flows through all of our lives and brings healing as far as it goes. And that river, if you read in in the book of Revelation, it it flows directly from the throne of God. And the Bible says that everything that it touches is healed. That's the heart of God. That's the grace of God. And that's the power of God when when we understand His love. I'm going to end with a quote from Brennan Manning again. Um, And I didn't put this one up on the screen because it's a bit of a longer one, but just just listen to this for a moment. It says, the gospel is absurd and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that He lived, died, and rose again with but one purpose in mind, to make brand new creation. Not to make people with better morals, but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the Spirit that burns within, who would live in ever greater fidelity to the omnipresent Word of God, who would enter into the center of it all, the very heart of the mystery of Christ, into the center of the flame that consumes, purifies, and sets everything aglow with peace, joy, boldness, and extravagant, furious love. This, my friend, is what it really means to be a Christian. Not a neat little program that we figured out, but entering right into the, the fire of the Holy Spirit to experience the furious, extravagant love of God burning within ourselves, the mystery of Christ. We don't even know how it's all going to unfold. We, we only half understand how God works. But what we do know in the gospel, we know that Jesus he lived, he died, and here in John chapter number 20, he was raised again. And so today we can experience that living presence of Jesus right here in our hearts. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Not to follow a set program or a bunch of rules, but to know the love of God and to experience the fire of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to run after Jesus you can only do it if you realize that He has, has run after you. If you're looking for the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn in your soul, if you just, if you just feel lukewarm, if you just, if you, if you just feel like, I, I don't know where I'm going to get my inspiration from. If you want to follow Jesus with reckless abandon, all you need to do today is recognize the great love that He has for you. And just like the disciple whom Jesus loved, You will outrun everybody in pursuit of what God has done and in taking a hold of what the resurrection means for our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me go ahead and pray for us this morning.